What is up? And welcome into another edition of Talk and Flock, a Forward Madison podcast, a full Mingo podcast, I should say, about all things Forward Madison. My name is Jeremy Rushing, and alongside me, as always, Rob Chapel from Madison Three Six Five. Rob, how you doing? I'm uh, I'm getting by. How are you? I- I'm doing well. Could be better. Coming off yep. the uh, loss to New England on Saturday, um, I actually just rewatched the game again this morning, and I was on the edge of my seat standing up and yelling again, just <laughs> like I was on Saturday. So uh-huh. uh, yeah, it was, it was that kind of game and we will get to uh, breaking that down in just a few minutes, but got to do some housekeeping items off the top here. Uh, we're at episode seven. So whether this is your first time checking us out or now you've listened to all seven episodes, thank you so much for giving us uh, giving us an opportunity to be in your podcast feed. We know there's a lot of different podcast options out there. So thank you so much for including us in that. If you have not subscribed, let's you know when you drop a new episode, please do that on your preferred podcast platform. And uh, go ahead and leave us a, a rating and review on Apple Podcasts if you could. Um, it's huge for our placement there. We've cracked the top 50 before. Uh, I actually did that just a few weeks ago uh, in the Apple Podcast soccer charts. That was really cool. Uh, it would be nice if we could maybe say stay consistently in those charts too. And ratings and reviews go a long way sort of, uh, towards sort of maintaining that, that positioning. So please go ahead and do that. But uh, Rob, let's not waste any time. Yeah. I don't want to say let's get this over with, but uh, we do have a lot. <laughs> We do have a lot to get to when it comes to the match mm-hmm. against uh, Saturday against New England. Uh, some good, some obviously not so good. Um, so let's get right into it. Another match, Rob, and and this has kind of been a common theme. I feel like we mention this every week. Uh, yeah. so, so many chances to score, uh, and you know you talk about twenty shots, fourteen inside the box, four on target, four hitting the post or the or the crossbar. Yeah, uh, it, it just it, it's seemed like this all season, but Saturday was really kind of in a nutshell. It just seems like this team is almost cursed at this point and not yeah. being able to score goals. Yeah, and we've been saying this for literally years now at this point that, <laughs> that we have that this team is so good and has created so many chances and just they just don't go in. It's mm-hmm. almost physically impossible how many didn't yeah. go in on Saturday, especially. Mm-hmm. And there were there were moments. And I was there enjoying the uh, the Father's Day and the Juneteenth celebrations with my kids. Mm-hmm. And um, and there were moments of uh, of curse words, yes, <laughs> being shouted from as, as in like jump up to celebrate the goal and then go what? How did that not go in? Yeah. Uh, but and and a lot of it, you know, is unlucky. You know, hitting the post that many times is kind of unlucky, but at the same time, it's also mm-hmm. like you know how wide the goal is, and you know we you've got to get it in there. And there <laughs> were a couple of moments of you know lack of composure, maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have some young strikers, obviously, who um, like Noah Fusan, who had a hat trick of near misses in the first yeah. twenty-seven minutes of the game. He had three really good chances. One of them was just one-on-one with an open goal, really, and he just shanked it up and over. And I don't know. Um, if that was just got a little bit too excited or what, but he is such a good player, such a dynamic on the ball and, and just, just lacks the, the finishing touch. And he also had one that clanged off the crossbar. That was, would have been goal of the week, you know, but it just, just yeah. didn't dip quite far enough. Um, you know, and on the other side, New England had 10 shots, uh, two that were good and mm-hmm. or three that were good rather one great save from Phil Brino and two went in, you know? So mm-hmm. <clears throat> what do you say? I mean, Carl Craig after the match said that was the best half of football we've played all season, mm-hmm. but that first half ended in stoppage time with the goal from um, New England, which yeah, that was, it was that was killer. just completely sucked the air out of Reese Stevens field. It did. Only one minute of stoppage time. So you think, okay, at worst, we go into this nil-nil. And mm-hmm. then suddenly, chaos in front of goal, ball ends up in the back of the net, and yep. completely, maybe the most against the run of play goal that I've oh ever gosh. seen in my life. Completely, and, completely. Madison dominated that first half. and then, But then, uh, you know, I was talking to Phil Brino, the goalkeeper, after the match, and he was like, I, I don't want to call it ball watching. But and then he couldn't quite think of anything else to call it because that's mm-hmm. what it was. I mean, they they were they were like, okay, we're past forty five minutes. We're just going to see this into halftime. We're going to figure this out and score a bunch of goals in the second half. And while they were doing that, 
Um, uh, Ryan Spaulding puts the ball right past Gustavo Fernandez, who kind of was on his heels. Justin mm-hmm. Rennick dribbles right past Christian Diaz, who's also just kind of standing there, and uh, puts the ball into traffic. And there's this massive tangle of traffic right in front of the net, and and yeah. uh, uh, no no Buck put it in uh, past Reno, and I, you know it is so such like tight quarters and kind of chaotic. You wonder does does Chris Brady make that save? I, I don't know. I mean, it was very close range. Yeah, uh, but everybody was, but because it was so chaotic, everybody was just kind of out of position, you know, and it yeah. was kind of a lucky goal for them. And, and, but like you say, completely took the wind out of Ford Madison. And I have never heard Bree Stevens that quiet. Like it was, you know, and even in the whole second half, the the flock were in full voice as they always are. Love that. Yeah. Uh, but they're just the energy and the rest of the crowd was just not there. It was just, we could tell that this was just not going the way it's supposed to go, you know? And it's one thing if it's just, you know, every team has one or two matches where this happens, where no matter what you do, you just can't put the ball in the back of the net. We are eight matches in, I believe, at this point. Yep. Yep. And this has been the main talking point on every single episode that we have had so far, Rob. Yep. It's it's crazy to think about over this long of a sample size that we have, you know, I, I don't even know if I can call it an issue, but maybe it is just complete lack of luck. But at some point, you know, somebody, you know, there needs to be some sort of accountability for the ball not ended up in the back of the net and being on the wrong side yeah. of one nil to one matches. Yes, exactly. And and I will say, Carl Craig after the match uh, said, you know, I, somebody asked, you know, what do we need to do? What does Madison? What does your club need to do? And he literally said, I think we need to spend a few bucks on a guy who can put the ball in the net. And mm-hmm. I. You know how he talks in his jovial style. You don't know if he's quite half joking about that, or if he's mm-hmm. literally saying like, "No, I none of these guys on my team right now can score." <laughs> you know, and he got to just say, "Well, you know, Jake Keegan's can score, and you know these guys can score. You know, Derek Gebhardt can score, but we need, we might need to. They might actually, or he might actually think at least that the club needs to go out and find another striker. Yeah, which would be crazy at this point. You've built this whole roster to score yeah. goals." And they're not scoring goals. They're they're creating chances. They're getting tons and tons of chances, and they're and they're yeah. looking really good doing it. You know, these are not. Uh, I will say, of the twenty shots, you know, very few were of those like really optimistic from distance kind. Like you said, there were fourteen from inside the box. Like they mm-hmm. were in behind. They were playing the way they wanted to play. They were creating really good chances, and then not finishing them. It was it was remarkable. Uh, and how frustrating as, it was to watch. I can't imagine playing it. Yeah, that, that that's just what I was about to say. The players, I, I don't I don't know where the locker room morale is at this point, but I have to imagine that the frustration may be starting to boil over. We saw that actually a couple times on the pitch too. Uh, yeah. A little bit of chippiness. That's about the third match in a row that we've seen a little bit of that um, in, in the match itself. Mm-hmm. But you're right, Rob. This This roster is built to to put the ball in the back of the net. It's built to play in a highly offensive attacking style, which we have seen up until the point where you need to score goals um, yeah. and the goals aren't coming. And when you play in that style and you're not scoring goals, now this is going to sound very, very basic and I'm going to get a lot of eye rolls when I say this, but when you play that <laughs> style and you're, and you're not scoring goals, it makes you susceptible to the types of score lines that we saw on Saturday. And yeah. yes, when you, when you don't score, you lose a lot no matter what. But when your style is so attacking oriented, it's so goal scoring focused and yep. you're not doing that, you are you are susceptible to counterattacks and you are kind of putting all your eggs in the offensive basket. So that does leave you vulnerable. And when you're not scoring and you're not getting three, four goals, you see what can happen. And and that and that's why uh, New England scored their second goal mm-hmm. in that uh madison is not only doing their normal like pushing forward style but they're also chasing a goal right so mm-hmm. in the 80th minute they leave their back line pretty exposed and interestingly in the 71st minute uh carl did a really puzzling substitution for me he explained a little bit more than thinking about it behind it after the game but he put in ronaldo lamelli on the right back and moved christian diaz up to midfield and took out Derek gebhardt thinking obviously that Christian Diaz is a, is a really dynamic player and an attacking threat in addition to being a pretty good defender. So, but unfortunately that kind of backfired in that, you know, with everybody pushing forward, 
The back line is is exposed. Uh, Michael Sekulius gets one-on-one with Lamelli, who's just off the bench, who's mm-hmm. inexperienced, he's young. Uh, this is his second month as a professional. Uh, you know, Michael uh, Sekulius gets him leaning slightly to the left. A little touch, boom, pass Brino. Uh, and Brino, and that was position, like, I don't know what he was, I don't know, I don't want to, I hate second-guessing goalkeepers. But he was really close to the near post and left yeah. 75% of the goal wide open. Uh, so it wasn't very hard for Sekulius to score that in the in the far post. But the, but it all comes from the fact, like you said, that they were really chasing this game for the whole second half uh, and, and really pushing. Although they had a bunch of more terrific chances to equalize, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, early in the second half and just and just couldn't do it. It was yeah. so frustrating. Yeah, you mentioned Noah Fusan having having a, a trio of solid chances. If you want to go back to the first half, Christian Diaz, that was the in the eleventh oh. minute. The first the first one where I really kind of yelled out loud and been like, this <laughs> this this match should be one nil right now. He has just outside the box a wide open lane, like can see the goal. It's almost as if nobody's in front of him. And he yeah. somehow hooks the shot wide. Um Christian Enriquez later on in the half two. Uh, mm-hmm. who we will uh, talk to later on in the show. So stay tuned for that. Um, great cross in and another where I don't know if, if Gebhard didn't see it or if he was behind it, but you feel like he just puts a foot up and he can, he can deflect oh, that yeah. in the back of the net. Uh, and it seemed like it wasn't as if he was one or two steps behind, at least from my vantage point, he seemed right there. He just didn't get his foot up on it. Uh, yeah. those, those were two of the many, many chances that really stuck out to me. Well, and obviously and then, have, yeah. have the, and the, one, the one that gave me the heart attack was in the 51st minute after halftime. Uh, Diaz puts a cross in beautiful, perfectly weighted cross. Jake Keegan gets a head on it, beats the goalkeeper, clangs off the cross, uh, off the post it actually went far post and hit the post, which is weird for a header to do, but, but the rebound falls right to Derek Gephardt's foot crossbar. and he puts it off the crossbar. Like like how do you even do that? Like if you if you paid them each a thousand dollars to do that on purpose, they never could. Yep, it's that kind of in a nutshell was the match for Forward Madison. Call yeah. you know, a lot of it is unlucky. You do at this point kind of have a valid question though over you know the, the goal scoring issue that team yep. is facing and when you build Hello. a team like this with. Sorry, go ahead, Rob. Yeah, I was gonna say Jake Keegan after the game was was talking more about. That, that this that the frustration is starting to get to them and that that's reflecting in their play on the field that that they're not only not scoring but then that leads to frustration which then leads to them like not doing the other little things that don't show up on the score sheet the tracking back the winning the duels the you know the really the playing with urgency the playing clean so not you know not getting getting stupid red cards yellow cards stuff like that uh so uh and i think at this point i don't, I don't know what more carl craig can do but I yeah. think the you know to hear Jake Keegan talk like that as a co-captain, I think is really encouraging. I think that he and Connor Tobin are uh, it's kind of on them to to get the psychological side of it at least, you know, to mm-hmm. to keep the belief up. Because that, that's the thing: once you lose confidence in yourself, that's when you lose composure and start either t- not taking the shot or shanking the shot uh, because you you lack that confidence, and that's they've got to find a way to get that back by Wednesday. Yeah, and that's a big one Wednesday. Uh, we kind of said last week that you don't want to be heading into that match off a draw or a loss, but here we are. Greenville yeah. Triumph uh, <laughs> in, in Greenville. Uh, I I believe Greenville's top of the table at this point, are they? Uh, no. Um, uh, Omaha is still on top of the table, but Greenville okay. is close. Okay, got it. But, well, uh, but, either but, way, yeah, it's, but, it's the yeah, class of the league, and it's a big yep. challenge. So yep. a big opportunity, though. I mean, you can look at the flip side, too. If you can go into Greenville and get a result and look good doing so, and kind of maybe it's if, it was, if it's 2-2, two, 2-1, two, two, you know, whatever. If you go in there, you're able to kind of execute like you have been offensively, but follow through. Maybe you get a goal or two, mm-hmm. um, get a result. You know, that is enough maybe to change the mojo because we're still, you know, s- still four months left in the regular season, Rob. It's not like we're closing in on on, on the tail end right. of the season and this team needs to start getting points or, no. or needs to start getting wins. Or else. It is 
five games winless right now, which is a concern, but there is time to turn it around and we have seen encouraging play on the field. So while we've spent the last 15 minutes plus talking about, okay, this is, this is becoming an issue, lack of goals. There's time to turn it around and we've seen a lot of good to give you the sense that there is a ton of potential to do so. So ton of potential. And, and the, and the yeah. guys understand it. I think that's one thing Phil Brino said also after the game was like, you're going to see it. It's going to come. We're on the cusp of breaking the single wide open and we're going to be the best in the team in the league. And, um, and I think, like you say, going into Greenville, if you can, if you can match them, you know, you can, you know, this team has enough talent to go toe to toe with Greenville. We saw them do it with Omaha mm-hmm. twice already. Right. Uh, you, you know, you can, you can hang with these guys. Um, and maybe even get a result. And especially, you know, Greenville is also kind of on a downswing right now. They're coming off a, a loss um, and uh, uh, along along with, uh, you know, a crowded schedule, uh, mm-hmm. a loss and a win earlier. We'll talk more about this later, but the uh, Greenville's win last week wasn't particularly convincing. Mm-hmm. Um, and a loss before that. So they're not in great form right now. So you've got a chance. You think you got a chance to to hang with them um, and uh, and come away with that. And maybe maybe this Wednesday match is the is the turnaround. You know, maybe this is when you can um, see this as a turning point because, like you say, we're just past the quarter pole of the season, right? There's plenty mm-hmm. of soccer left to play, and plenty of time to earn earn a spot in those in that top half of the table to get into the playoffs. Yeah, so we will uh, we will see again that match Wednesday, um, six p.m. kickoff in Greenville. Um, that is that is going to be one to watch because as as we mentioned, forward Madison. If they just convert a small portion of their chances so far, you're talking about a team at or right there with Omaha at the top of the table, right? Um, oh, yeah. So th- I, I think, you know, box to box, this this team has shown they are one of, if not the best team in the league. So I have no doubt that they can compete with Greenville, but Greenville is a team where if you don't take advantage of your opportunities, they can come back and um, you know you know they're going to take advantage of theirs. Yeah. So that's really good. I think you're 100% right that box to box and even – Back line, to box to box. This is mm-hmm. might be the best team in the in the league, and mm-hmm. you just got to if we you know there there are we we could easily Madison could easily have a goal differential of plus ten right now if they just mm-hmm. some of those chances had been able to to fall in. But speaking of the table, um, you know right now, uh, Omaha is on top of the table, uh, and and Wisconsin uh, Madison sorry <laughs> Wisconsin Madison is seventh, just out of playoffs, but. That doesn't mean much because that's just on the accumulated number of points. Mm-hmm. But you've got South Georgia has Tormenta has eleven games. Fort Lauderdale has twelve. Madison only has eight. So you, you can't really like go. Yeah, on someone count did, right now, but someone did release a points per game. Yep, uh, and I just I, I just updated. I just did the updated points per game this morning. Oh, nice! And it and Madison is in fifth there at one point oh. five. Chattanooga is first. Yeah. 2.3 and Omaha Greenville both have 2.0 and Madison then 1.5. And just if you multiply that by 28 and it's kind of spread it out over the season, it looks like to me, you're going to need about 40 points to get into the playoffs. Right. And you're probably going to need somewhere in the range of 55, 56 points to get one of those top two spots where you get the buy in the first round mm-hmm. of the playoffs. So Madison is definitely uh, if nothing changes, Madison could actually, you know, be right in that conversation, you know, because mm-hmm. you, you start five game winning streak, you got or unbeaten streak, rather not winning streak, five game unbeaten streak. Now you got four games winless. If you keep, mm-hmm. you know, it's going to, you're going to be streaky. You're going to go through difficult times, but if you, if we continue and start to get back on our winning ways for a little bit, uh, we'll definitely be right in the conversation uh, for the playoffs when that time comes. Yeah. And we're not there Yet there will be a point where if this does continue, you start to temper those expectations and say, okay, oh, yeah. yeah, we're going to compete for the top two. Whereas, okay, we just want to comfortably make the playoffs at this point. We're nowhere close yeah. to that yet. As if we, as, as we mentioned, four months left in the regular season to sort of, uh, I wouldn't say get, even get things on track, but you know, find that consistency. That, find that uh, finish. Yeah, exactly. Find, the find finish. that. That's, that's all. That's the, that's Print the shirts, Rob. Hashtag find the Love it. <laughs> Love, Love it. it. All right. So speaking of Greenville, let's go around the league real quick. Uh, sure. Greenville edging North Carolina 2-1. 
Uh, JT Kamara scored in the 11th minute to give NCFC the lead. Um, then Don Smart, old friend, old Mingo, uh, equalized in the 37th. Uh, that's and then Mario Slomas got the winner shortly after halftime. Um, and this was a match where, as you previously mentioned, Greenville did not look great in this yeah. win. Uh, credit to North Carolina for for giving them a match, but but Greenville less than impressive. Yeah, well, and Greenville, the one thing that Greenville did really impress was the last 25 minutes they played with only 10 guys. Alex Morrell got sent off uh, for a second yellow. Um, and, uh, and North Carolina's goalie, by the way, 15-year-old Nicholas Holiday uh, played pretty well. Yeah, he did. Um, he had more than a handful of saves mm-hmm. in that match. Um, fifteen-year-old playing a professional game. What were you doing at fifteen, uh, Ryan? Um, not that. <laughs> <laughs> How old is fifteen? It was like it was like, it was like sophomore year of high school. Yeah, oh, exactly. Man. I was I was um, running cross country very slowly. Also, do have to mention uh, Cole Frame. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that last name right. Cole Frame or Cole Frame. Um, a an alum of North Carolina's academy, their first oh. academy player to actually score a goal too. So you're nice. talking about the future. Um, you're 15 year old academy player. Yeah. Um, so that that that's really cool that the youth uh, came out against a very very formidable opponent in Greenville. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. All right, so um, let's uh, keep going with Wednesday, Fort Lauderdale two, uh, Toronto FC two two. Uh, Vent Nevins opened the score into the 23rd, uh, really good solo effort, And, uh, the other three goals were just kind of, uh, you know, very, 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 very well, well done team goals, um, to get the two, two draw there. Uh, so we end up level between Fort Lauderdale and Toronto FC two, um, two teams where, I mean, for, we, that's why Fort Lauderdale is really re- the reason we're doing the points per game rankings at this point, because they they've played yeah. some more games than everybody else. Uh, they still find themselves near the top of the table, but you have to imagine when things start to even out, unless they go on a hot streak, uh, they'll sort of drop down to the bottom tier and kind of in that, in that bubble conversation for the playoffs. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, I'm not sure how they got so many games so early, but, but they did. Yeah. Um, and I do. We do need to make a quick correction here. Um, the, when we were talking about uh, North Carolina, um, the the young players Nicholas Holiday and Cole Frame both played on Saturday against Chattanooga, not again, not on Wednesday. Oh, not again. that. Okay. Yeah. Right. So yeah, different match, uh, but still good to see that uh, that on Saturday. Um, elsewhere on Saturday, we had uh, Richmond and Omaha one one, or yeah, yeah, Richmond Omaha one one. Um, Omaha, uh, it kind of similar to how Richmond looked against Ford Madison, just a, a very, very good yeah. defensive effort from mm-hmm. them holding such a quality scoring side, like Omaha at bay. Um, and yeah. this is a team, this is a team where, you know, if you play good defense, they're, they're, they're not really near kind of that top of the table conversation right now, but if you continue to defend like this and you can find a few goals, you know, Richmond could find themselves in the playoffs and give the teams at the top a lot of issues. Well, you know what they say that, you know, however, whatever that is, defense wins championships or whatever, but, mm-hmm. uh, you know, but you're right. I mean, they would be a very difficult and frustrating side to face in like a semifinal type situation. Mm-hmm. And then elsewhere on Saturday in their second match of the week, it was Toronto FC two who got the better of Fort Lauderdale two to one. Um, Toronto is actually hosting this one in Orlando. Um, so not too far of a drive from Fort Lauderdale on the road. Um, we had talked to Flora about this a few weeks back, how uh, Toronto may have maybe moving their, their home site from Arizona to Florida. Mm-hmm. Uh, looks like they have done. So um, it was a defensive and goalkeeping breakdown in the fourth minute minute that led to Fort Lauderdale's goal. Uh, yeah. Very similar goal for Toronto later on in the first half and then got the winner before halftime as well. So um, two, two to one Toronto FC comes out on top there. Uh, then Tormenta talk about Greenville, not a great week for Greenville, the mm-hmm. inconvincing two to one win. And then you followed it up with a three to one loss to Tormenta. Uh, just a, a slow start in this one. Uh, 31st minute was the goal for, uh, for Eckenrood. And then uh, O'Callaghan doubled the lead for Tormenta in the first half uh, stoppage time as well. Um, so you go to half down 2-0 and then not much uh, for Greenville in the second half in that 3-1 to loss. Four-game win streak now for Tormenta. So they're they're really – uh, they, they are looking 
They're looking dangerous. I mean, they started, they got a slow start to the season, but they're looking really dangerous right now. Yeah. Uh, and that's a team to watch out for. I mean, that was a team that did give Ford Madison problems. We, def- we didn't yep. really consider Tormenta a threat at the time. Um, yep. Definitely thought that was kind of a, a downward match for, for Madison, but uh, Tormenta really kind of uh, doing well right now with that four game yep. win streak. Uh, and then Sunday, the only match of the uh, slate, North Texas nil, Tucson nil. Uh, Wallace Lapsley saves a penalty in the first half uh, to keep the game level. And then uh, three red cards. Uh, this is pretty insane, Rob. This is the wildest 0-0 draw you'll ever see. It was crazy. that uh, Noah Frankie completely, I don't know, lost his mind. He like wrapped his arms mm-hmm. around the guy and threw him to the ground. It was the yeah. weirdest thing. Uh, that's obviously straight red. And uh, so, so there, that was um, that was early in the second half. That was like the 60th minute or something. Uh, and mm-hmm. then uh, Jorge Maguire got a straight red for a studs-up tackle in the 83rd uh, from North Texas. And then Tucson's uh, Giovanni Calixtro, uh launched the ball into the stands, which is a yellow card. And he already had a yellow card, so that was that was the end of the night for him. So ended up 10 on nine, uh, yeah. and still ended up zero zero. It was that's insane. Quite bonkers. It's like four on three in hockey. It's just crazy. <laughs> right. right. Uh, but any, anyways, yeah, it's uh, a wild way to end a wild weekend in USL League One. Um, so uh, before we actually get to uh, our Flamingo shoutouts and and uh, you know off the field stuff, kind of want to stick with this USL League One theme. It's official. Another league now in division three, which we will talk about a little bit in our shout outs, but a league that will be leveled to USL league one and NISA, both at the third tier of the U S soccer pyramid. And that's the new, they haven't really given an official name, but you have, for lack of a better term, it's a reserve league for MLS. Um, All of their reserve sides. So in England revolution to Fort Lauderdale, um, you know, so on and so forth. We'll be kind of moving into this reserve league um, in 2022 there will be the opportunity for expansion uh, and independent uh, clubs, organizations to join the league as well. So it won't be specific to those reserve teams. Uh, but this is kind of MLS trying to, I guess, kind of uh, fill the gap between their MLS Next Academy system and the main the main league. Continue yeah. that path. And, there, and, and to take to kind of take ownership of that whole pipeline right because right Mm -hmm. now you've got your academies and you got your mls next and then you've got these developmental clubs that are in this other league Mm -hmm. right and then you've got mls so like there's this gap within the mls hierarchy and they i think they just want to bring that all under the one roof Mm -hmm. which from their perspective makes sense i can't imagine what independent club would want to be part of that though i mean no opening it up for it but i I, why would you join that (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and there has been rumblings of um, MLS wanting to create reserve sides for all of their clubs. I don't know. If they, I don't know if they're ever going to make it a requirement, right. but that's kind of their aspiration. So if this is going to be this league, I have to imagine mm-hmm. it will be comprised mainly of reserve teams. Um, even if those reserve teams aren't necessarily named the same, if, you know, your, uh, you know, if it's Philadelphia Union Two or if it's you know Scranton Wilkes Bar, whoever, you know, yeah. it's you know, it's uh, it, it's it's going to be kind of those reserve sides and be under the umbrellas of those main MLS clubs. And you're right, Rob. I mean, I think this is where USL and NISA actually could have an advantage, kind of taking ownership of the independent side and saying if you're if you want to start a club that you know and you don't want to kind of be under the under the jurisdiction of MLS or be forced to be part of a, an MLS club you kind of want to start a club independently and you want it to be professional and you have the funding and you have the resources to do so this is one of the leagues that you need to need to be part of yeah and then you don't have to play in massive empty stadiums against yeah which MLS is again, that's the first thing i thought of when i saw this rob yeah. is fort lauderdale Play in the beautiful Inter Miami Stadium. I don't know what the name of that stadium is, but the organization doesn't see it worthy of actually opening the stadium up to fans because when you do that, you have to hire security, ticket people, you have to open up the merch uh, store, you have to have the concessions. You know, it, there is cost involved, obviously, in opening your stadium up to fans. 
and they don't think the costs outweigh the benefits or any revenue that they can make right, from well, having the fans in the stadium, which is super and, unfortunate. Yeah, and who in who what fans of that club are going to come to see the JV team? You know, like mm-hmm. it, it's just it's just not there's just not a built-in fan base or supporter culture for us for your reserve side. So it just makes sense to get them get the reserve guys the playing time against other professional reserves, but you don't have to worry about like trying to sell tickets and, and you know build a supporter mm-hmm. culture the way that the independent clubs have. And it is yeah. will be, you know, it's just a, a better. It seems to be a better arrangement to to have a, a league full of independent sides who have their own supporters groups and aren't. Mm-hmm having to play against uh, in, in those big cavernous empty stadiums. The way North Texas has been also this massive empty stadium. And it's just, I don't know. It's just, it's just not a good look. I don't think. And I think it's just think more so fun, either. more fun for us, for us independent yeah. club supporters, you know, to, to be up against Chattanooga and Greenville and, uh, Omaha uh-huh. and not MLS reserves, you know? Yeah. And I think, I think that's something, that if you're a player who is coming up in sort of that MLS Academy system and you have a chance to go pro and you play in USA and you play in this MLS league, that is kind of unfortunate for those players that they're not going to be able to play in that sort of uh, supported, you know, community supported, fan supported atmosphere. Not saying there won't be any resemblance of that because there are some MLS clubs who have those secondary teams that have sort of developed a little bit of a culture around them. But Mm -hmm. I'm not near to the point where, you know, you're going to see a a fan base like Forward Madison's or like Greenville's or like Omaha's in in that in that league. Um, So it kind of it kind of does stink for those players who are coming up in that, especially the ones who maybe don't actually make it pro. Uh, And they're playing in sort of that that's. Uh, cultureless and uh, atmosphereless environment, yeah, you know, yeah. for the most part. Uh, not to paint a broad brush over everyone, but for the most part, that is kind of going to be what it's like. So, yeah, but yeah, um, that, but that's what they want to do. They want to they want to just develop players for the senior sides, and that's how that's mm-hmm. how you do that, I guess. You know, exactly. All right. Um, so now let's get into some of the community youth off the field happenings. Um, obviously, Juneteenth, Juneteenth, excuse me, Juneteenth. Juneteenth and Father's Day were both uh, big, uh, you know, had a big presence in the match on Saturday. But Juneteenth really was something that both Featherstone Flamingos and Forward Madison, the club, really tried to put a major focus on, not only on Saturday, but all week long. Yeah, and that was that was really cool to see. They, uh, Pernicia Clifton uh, did the both the national anthem of the United States as well as the, the black national anthem, Lift Every Voice mm-hmm. and Sing, and she was absolutely tremendous. And then at uh, at halftime you had the uh, the Black Star drumline perform, and they were always awesome. And you had Matthew Charles uh, read a poem from his most recent book, although the the sound was not great for that, unfortunately. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, but um, and then you had Baraka, the the restaurant had some food there, and uh, and then Feathers of Flamingos uh, is designed a scarf, as a Juneteenth scarf, and you can still get those through the end of the month. And uh, $25, you buy them from the club. And uh, all that money is going to go to YWCA uh, here in Madison. So really cool. cool. Yeah. And the, the Father's Day thing was awesome. Everybody was jealous of my bacon. Uh, <laughs> you got to, you know, if you use the promo code dad or whatever, you got tickets. And then you got pink duct tape and a, a visor for a Madison visor, which is awesome. And a big, just a bowl of bacon. And standing in line for beer, and everybody's like, "Where'd you get the bacon? Where did that, where are they selling that?" I was like, oh, "You gotta you gotta be a dad to have the bacon." So, yeah. little advice to the to the club, if anybody's listening, you guys could sell bacon. Like mm-hmm. the number of comments I got just carrying bacon around, everybody wanted to know where to buy the bacon. Like anybody would have paid money for that bacon. It was hilarious. Uh, not somewhat related. So, uh, uh, went to church with my father in law for Father's Day yesterday, and they uh-huh. were giving out root beers. After you, uh, as as you left the church, it was the dad's root beer. Or dad's whatever. root beer. Awesome. Uh, yeah. So uh, drinking that, and uh, we had met up for lunch afterwards, and I'm drinking my dad's root beer and whatever. They're like, where'd you get that? I was like, oh, you know, you got to be a dad. It's the same thing. So it was, it was cool. Uh, but yeah, again, on uh, talking back to Juneteenth, uh, the celebration in uh, in mm-hmm. Madison on Saturday. That was that was great. Um, I wasn't there, but just seeing the. The, the pictures and the videos and 
the, the, the flocks involvement in it, Featherstone Flamingos, obviously, and just how overall supported it was and sort of, you know, this is, this is what, this is what Juneteenth kind of should be. This is the impact it has, it should have. This is how people, how much people should focus on this, this day and this, this particular, Mm -hmm. I don't even want to really call it a holiday, but this sort of the the recognition of what Juneteenth. Yeah. Yep. And, and and for doing what I do for Madison 365, coloring, covering communities of color, um, Juneteenth is a big, big deal. And it has been for 40 years, but now obviously it's kind of, kind of suddenly mainstream and is now a federal holiday and there's been a lot of uh corporate like just like with pride you know it's just so easy Mm -hmm. to sell a rainbow t-shirt and call it pride and make a bunch of money off of it uh and there's some concern that that people are going to kind of gentrify juneteenth the way that we've gentrified Mm -hmm. cinco de mayo you know uh so it's important if you're going to be a corporate entity that's going to recognize this particular day to do it authentically and put your money where your mouth is, which is why it's so cool. Exactly then I even do a portion of proceeds for those scarves. So like, we're going to sell the scarves and give the money to YWCA. Yeah. Which is a, which is a really strong anti-racist organization here in Madison. Uh, mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I, kudos to the club for that. Yeah. And you, you don't, again, you don't see kind of that same commitment from, from other clubs uh, specifically here locally in Minnesota. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, profiting off of pride, profiting off of Juneteenth, something right, it, right. It's, it becomes these things have become so corporate and becomes, you know, uh, opportunists are kind of from a corporate standpoint or take advantage of these uh, things. But to see a club like Madison, you know, kind of, again, put their money where their mouth is, you know, uh, mm-hmm. and I mean, they don't have to donate all the proceeds. I don't think anybody would have batted an eye if they said we're going to donate a portion or 50% or whatever. I don't think anybody would have batted an eye. They probably would have still gotten, you know, nearly as much of the the credit as they're getting now. But you can tell that there is that authentic commitment there that we want to, you know, take this and recognize it and make something good out of it and and do something impactful for the community. Right. And that is so, so good to see. It's inspiring. And it's something that I think if you're, uh, a, a team in any sport, an organization in any sport, any sort of corporation, you know, if you own a business, whatever, you really need to look at something like what Madison did and say, okay, do I want to focus more on profiting off this or do I want to benefit my community? Yeah. And I think we are seeing, and hopefully we start to go down more the road of people and these organizations putting community first mm-hmm. in these, in these cases and hopefully that continues to sort of spread uh, because that's, again, incredible what, what Ford Madison and the Featherstone Flamingos sort of came together to do there. Hi, guys. How you doing? It is uh, post-production Jeremy here uh, providing the transition into Rob's great interview with Ford Madison rookie. We already mentioned him in our segment, but before we did that, Rob sat down with Ford Madison rookie Christian Enriquez. Great conversation here. And then Rob and I's second segment will be back on the other side of that. Hope you enjoy it. And joining the program today, the newest member of the Mingo family, just announced Friday as a new signing, got the start Saturday night. He previously played for uh, Portland Timbers 2 in the USL Championship and San Diego 1904 in NISA. It is midfielder Christian Enriquez. Christian, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Oh, thanks for being here. This is amazing. You're jumping right in, man. Yeah, it all happened pretty quick. Yeah. So uh, tell us about that. How you? Um, we heard that um, Carl Craig was really impressed with you on on your trial. Uh, how long was your trial? How, how long did you have to impress him? So I got here a little early because I had to be like um, going through the whole COVID like testing before I could uh-huh. join the team. So I was here probably like a little. It ended up being like just a week, but I guess my invitation was like a week and a half. I guess that's but, still very long. <laughs> Yeah, so I only really trained, I think, three times. And on the third day, he told me, like, like that he was interested in everything like that. So I just flew home that weekend, like, really quick, came back with all my stuff. And, like, <laughs> a really, really quick transition. Well, you certainly must have made an impression. And uh, I think, you, I, I, at least to me, from the stands, you made an impression Saturday night. How did that feel getting your, you know, just jumping right in and getting your feet wet in that first match? Like I just said, it was kind of like, Everything was happening so fast that once, like, I was playing, it felt I kind of had to, like, snap out of it a little bit and just realize that it's been over – it's probably been a year or more that, like, there hasn't been any fans in the stands. Yeah. So it's 
be like playing and seeing that many people like watching the game it just it felt good i definitely like took it in for like what it was and like it was a good experience that's outstanding so what what have your first impressions been just the, the brief little time you've been here of both you know madison as a city if you've even seen any of it as well as the club and its and its uh supporters so when i moved into the apartments i moved in with uh, my roommates which was aiden and uh ronnie or ronaldo and mm-hmm. so like they kind of like doing stuff just like out and about and i i wasn't really used to that because i was staying here for like a week in a hotel kind of by myself not able to <laughs> go but uh-huh. once i moved in and like we went to i believe it was the terrace kind of by the university yep and it was just like really nice to be there and like honestly i was a little surprised because I didn't, I didn't i didn't know much about it other than just going from the hotel to the field and back to the hotel yeah so it was definitely nice to see that the city's nice and there's a lot of people out and like enjoying it and the sunsets are really cool too that's like one thing that i liked about like just the area in general all the lakes and yeah. the theme is just it's nice too like they're they've been welcoming since i've got here and like a lot of the players actually ended up having like mutual friends so it was easy to kind of like connect with them right away so it's been just positive so far it's it seems to me and tell me if i'm wrong but it seems to me that like the the soccer world is kind of a small world like you no, know, always yeah. know somebody who knows somebody yeah so right? before coming here i was actually with san diego loyal like in my hometown and i was just training with them and it was just kind of out of the blue that like a lot of these players either um, played with, I think, Neil in the past when he was a player or they knew Carl Craig because they used to be their head coach. So it was just kind of like those connections. And yeah, it definitely is like small because in my head, like I've never been to Wisconsin, like in general. So for it to just all happen so quick, it was nice to, uh, to know that there's like mutual people in like San Diego and in Wisconsin. Yeah, that's outstanding. And, and how? What's your impression been of the of the club and the front office, the coaching staff, your your new, yeah. your new teammates? How's that been going? It's all been good. The I started meeting people like little by little once I signed, but um, everything's like organized. They kind of have like their way of doing things, and I enjoy each training session. And that's like something that I look forward to. Like every day I wake up just to be around the team and like train and just try to win something this this season. That's the main thing. Yeah. Um, let's talk a little bit about your background. You're 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 from San Diego area, right? Yeah. So, at what point? How old are you when when you realize you're pretty good at this soccer thing? And when does that kind of become like the thing for you? Yeah. Well, I started playing when I was three years old because I had an older brother that is almost four years older than me, and he was always into soccer. So as soon as I could pretty much walk, he was over here like feeding me the ball to kick and just play with him. So I never really looked at it like. Like, if I was good at it, I just always, like, loved doing it since I was a kid. And just the more I grew up, and, like, the, I think the more you enjoy something, like, the better you're going to be at it naturally because it's, like, mm. what you love to do. So, I mean, maybe, like, when I kind of realized it was, like, towards, like, high school because I, I always knew I wanted to pursue soccer, whether it was, like, collegiately or professionally. But just, like, once you start getting, like, offers from whether it's, like, pro clubs reaching out to you to, like, be part of their youth or it's, like, colleges reaching out to you you kind of like it kind of just proves that like you're you're doing something with the sport and that's kind of like around the time where I had to kind of realize like and decide within myself like if it's something I wanted to do and um at what point are you having to make the decision and I think a lot of us think we know about this but those of us who aren't elite athletes don't know really how this works but is there a point at which you got to kind of make a decision do I go club pro or do I go college and, and what what are the thought processes in your mind yes yeah, so with my family they really want me to like pursue school and college is a little different but they always wanted me to like finish high school and like get into university whether it's me doing it online or just uh, whenever I can and it was just more of like my high school years was a little bit different because since I was living in San Diego, there was a professional club right across the border, um, Cholos in the Liga Américas. Mm-hmm. So like that was a big thing for me because I had to, there was opportunities for me to go and kind of leave my high school, leave my friends and just play for like their youth and just like develop there. But like for one reason or another, like I was speaking with my parents and like the more colleges were speaking to me, that was just kind of like the route where I felt like more comfortable in and I knew in my head that I was going to want to pursue like professional sports if it was a possibility so I think like around that time which I was pretty young I was actually like 13 14 years old I kind of had to make 
big decisions. And for a lot of people, it's like they just go to school and they know they're going to graduate high school and that's kind of their life. But I, I was stuck making like kind of serious decisions at that time. But yeah, I ended up working for the best. So. Yeah, that's I mean, that's a weighty decision to make when you're 13, 14 years old. But that's but that, but you know, there's a certain kind of athlete that has to do that, right? That, that at a certain point, yeah, exactly. you got to decide which which path I'm going to take. So, so you're 13, 14, and you're kind of deciding to go the pro route. And um, what, how do you, what, what are the, what are the clubs you sign up for as, as a youth that would, that had that sort of professional trajectory? Well, what it was, it was, it was actually pretty cool in San Diego. I grew up playing Academy with um, nomads and it's like, it's been around for a long time. Mm-hmm. And um, it was like, they had like a partnership at the time with Cholo. So like there used to be a rule in Mexico where if you were under the age of like 18 and you weren't born in Mexico, but you were like on their squad, they would, um, you wouldn't be able to play like official games. So they would send those mm-hmm. players to nomads and kind of form a team with like players that are on like professional like teams developing and stuff. Okay. So that was a period where it was like, it was good for me because I was able to go um, train in the mornings with Cholos and then kind of do my school. I ended up doing like online school for my junior year of high school. So I was able to go train in Mexico and then cross the border really fast and then do my homework and stuff and then go train in the afternoon with nomads. So it was like, it was a lot of training, but I was like, I was fine with it. I was fine with um, kind of leaving my friends, I guess, because I wasn't going to be seeing them every day. But like, it was something I wanted to do and it felt kind of easy at the time, which is for some people it might be kind of hard, but to me, it was just like some like an easy decision to get more. Chance I, I got to tell you, as a, as a soccer dad, that sounds like a nightmare driving you around. <laughs> yeah there's there's ways around it there's um my family with um we commute to like mexico and stuff pretty often like just to go eat or visit uh-huh. like, sure 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 but um we would we have like this thing that's a fast pass kind of thing it's called like the sentry lane and mm-hmm. it like, you don't wait in that huge line no like across back so it was like it was easy to commute and i actually had another friend that um was playing for cholo so i would meet him and we would kind of like just like take an uber and a taxi Oh, cool. Oh, so, yeah. I ended up working out pretty, pretty good. That's awesome. I, I just remember taking my kids to, I have one son who used to play, not one son who does still, and just the carpooling to practice a couple times a week. I kind of mentioned to yeah. two, two different cities in a day. Uh, but, that, but that's fantastic. And then uh, at what point do you get your first like pro offer? So, my, it was like, for, I guess for the youth of Cholos, it was at the time for the U20s. It was okay. just going and that's not really you're not really saying like a first team deal you're just kind of getting into mm-hmm. the, the like developmental roster of that yep and that was around the time where i was choosing to commit to a university so it was either i chose to go with the u20s and kind of just play there and like hope to get like a first team deal eventually and just be involved in a professional like atmosphere or just choose a college way and just try going through like agents or mm-hmm. just like getting looked at through college and i ended up choosing to go to Cal Poly San Luis Obispo. So I guess I had another like pretty big decision my senior year of high school where I wanted yeah. to go straight and like try to do it or just go to college, get some education done and get looked at. So and that was kind of, yeah. So you did so you played for the Mustangs, is that right? Yes, I did. Fantastic. Uh that is my wife's alma mater also. How was that? I, I that my wife went there. Oh, really? Really? Yeah. So got, I actually have a Mustangs mug in my cabinet downstairs. Yeah, I have one back home as well. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. And uh, so then, and then, so when, when are you in college then? When do you graduate or when do you? Well, I still haven't graduated because I ended okay. up leaving after my sophomore fall season. Okay. I've just been doing like picking up online classes, like whenever I can, like little by little to finish my degree. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you, uh, so you, you played there two seasons? And yeah then, and then you get picked up by is that when you go to portland or yeah that's when i went to portland it was um it was actually kind of like i wouldn't say like random but they kind of were keeping up with me like throughout my senior year of high school and my freshman year of college mm-hmm. and at the time i was speaking to like a couple of agents because you can't really like sign with them because of like ncaa rules right so it was after my fall season of my sophomore year and I was just like going on vacation. It was like around Christmas time. And like, I just got a call from the agent and he just happened to be like speaking to the people at Timbers and they just like came to an agreement of like offering me a contract over that period. But I was expected to just go back to college, like in January. 
but that's just kind of how it happened. And then once he called me and he told me, I was actually with my family. And to me, it was like an easy decision. Like I wasn't going to let an opportunity go like that. So that's right. kind of how everything happened. Like it was just really sudden and I just took it. Yeah. Especially if you have the discipline to continue your studies. Yeah. Yes, right. I mean, that's, that's got to be challenging though, right? To, to try to. It is. I, yeah. I took um, a couple semesters off just to kind of make sure I was like, like accustomed to like how my schedule was going to be and everything like that. But now that you kind of get in a routine, it's easier to like take on more classes or sure. just feel more comfortable doing it. Yeah. 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 Now, so then you, you play with Portland, you play with uh, 1904 in San Diego yeah and isa and now you're here what do you think you bring to this midfield i mean you were you were announced as adding depth which is basically a nice way to say another guy so yeah. what do you specifically bring to this club that that you can you think can help i mean i think one of the things that i was talking to carl about which um i don't think he explained it to me as if it was like lacking or anything like that mm-hmm. it was just kind of adding more competition to the rotation in the middle and just Kind of adding that like in training sessions as well as like i mean if you train better than or like if you train harder during the week then like at the game it should be a lot easier to play mm-hmm. with each other so i think it's just adding that extra like competition with the team and like i always love having the ball at my feet like that's just kind of how i play and i like to dribble when i can and just kind of do what i can to attack and i think that's just what i offer i wouldn't say it's like completely different to what we already have. So it's just more, more competition, which is at the end of the day, it's good for everyone to be competing for a spot because it only makes me better and it only makes my teammates better as well. Kind of pushing each other during the week when we're not watching, <laughs> when it's just yeah, you guys right. pushing each other. Now th- this roster, I don't know. I don't know how aware you even are of Fort Madison and how they've been going. And with Carl coming in this year, kind of rebuilding the entire roster, except for the back line. Right. So, um, and this roster was really built to score goals, right? To be, to be forward thinking and on the front foot all the time. Uh, and it hasn't been coming yet. You know, they, they've got like one goal in the last three days. You saw, you saw how many chances went off the crossbar and yeah. <laughs> off the goalpost yesterday. So that, you know, this, again, this roster is built to score goals and they haven't been coming. Given you're just one week fresh look at this, what do you think has to happen to start to start to tally those, to get the ball in the back of the net? Yeah, I mean, to be fair, this past weekend, I think we had the chances created. I don't think it was, like, a lack of creating opportunities because, like, everyone saw there was a lot of crossbars hit, just yeah, too many chances to, like, not have at least, like, one in the goal, you know? But yeah. in terms of the way we were playing, I think it was, like, fine. It was just the fact that we just did not score. But it wasn't – like, if one of those goals would have gone in the first half, I think the game would have looked completely different. And I think it's just right. maybe – like it's fair to ask those questions just because of like the little streak we've been having where it's like been unsuccessful. But I think this past game just kind of shows that we are able to create the chances. It just has to be like that little final product. But yeah. I think it's just a matter of time before that. It's like a little slump, but it's not, I don't think it's anything we need to be too worried about because the chances are there. It's just someone needs to just take advantage of it and like put it in the back. Now, now you, you put in a, a good night. Uh, we talked a little bit earlier in the podcast about your, uh, your stats for the night which were really good uh and and you got carlos gomez alongside you gets his first start of the season um given that experience do do you what do you see between the lines that you can that the club can build on and try to get a better result starting wednesday in greenville i think maybe what was kind of lacking a little bit was when it might have been just like focus at one point just Mm -hmm. because like the first goal they scored on us happened to be like in the last minute of the first half So maybe it's just a little bit more focused with everyone to just be tuned in just to finish out a half. And then then you're going in the second half kind of the same way you started the first half, which is like trying to be more on the ball and just create more chances instead of being trailing like 1-0. I think it might just be that. Just probably the more, like I know me and Carlos were kind of new to the starting 11. Just the more we play together, the more we kind of understand like each player's tendencies and all that and just communicate with each other more so we could – just have a better end result as a team. Um, as a guy who's been, who's been playing this game for a long time and playing in different environments, different clubs, um, you know, we're, we're the, 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 the podcast is called talk and flock. So we got to talk about the flock. <laughs> we love them. The, the, the supporter section down at the North end of the stadium there. What are your impressions of that? Of just a, a town, the size of Madison to have that big and that boisterous and that noisy of a supporters culture. 
uh, has to yeah. feel decent, right? As, well, especially like you said, like yeah. having played for a year in empty stadiums. Right? That had to it was definitely like I definitely stood around and looked around at him just because I haven't seen it in a while. But mm-hmm. it's it's like super nice to have fans like that just because it gives you like that extra motivation. And then towards the end of the game when we just shake their hands, like they're super welcoming and like. I don't know. They just seems like there's a big togetherness mm-hmm. with them and like mm-hmm. how they do the team and just. I know it was a tough night for us, but they're always supporting, and that's just an extra like reason to like do better, pretty much. So yeah, it was it was it was super cool to see that for sure. Um, last question for you: What is in your future? Do you think? I, I, I mean, you see any specific soccer related goals? Are you just focused on this season? Are you thinking uh, next level? What do you, what what's your thought process? So like for me, like I want to play pretty much as the highest level I can possibly play. Just challenge myself to reach whatever that level is. And I think, well, like oh, if you were to ask me this probably like a couple of months ago, I would be thinking like at the bigger picture at stuff like that. But I think as of recently, like I've been, I've been kind of just focused in like what I'm doing at this exact moment. Yeah. And I think it's been helping me kind of just like stay like level-headed and just like do what I need to do now and the biggest thing that I have is just wanting to like win with this club and like whatever happens like if if I stay here or whatever if I there's chance to move on to another league or whatever it is like I'm gonna be open with that like at the end of the season but I think right now is just a little too soon to tell but yeah I'm always just trying to aspire for more whether it's like here like or my personal life or like next year pretty much all right Christian Enriquez, forward Madison midfielder uh, and Cal Poly alum and uh, continuing university student. Uh, really appreciate your taking the time to be with us today, uh, a couple of days after your Flamingo debut. So uh, best of luck to you uh, throughout the rest of the season and in your and in your college studies too. Thank you. I appreciate you having me. All right, before we get out of here on Talk and Flock, got to do our full Mingo shout-outs, and then Rob will wrap things up with a full Mingo fun fact. Uh, first shout-out is for the aforementioned uh, Christian Enriquez. Uh, great performance. Uh, first start for the Mingos on Saturday um, and and did really well. I mean, we, talk, we talked about one of the uh, should-have-been-a-goal moments uh, one right. of the many should have been the goal moments for Madison came off the foot of Enriquez, a great cross in the box that uh, somehow Derek Gebhard wasn't able to get to, to put in the goal. Um, but overall stats wise, he had a really good match overall too. Just, just a lot of quality from him, um, you know, being thrown to the wolves kind of right there in your first right. start at home at Bree Stevens. And he responded really well. Yeah. I mean, he was announced as a signing on Friday, got the start on Saturday, uh, 47 passes, 87% accuracy, uh, five long passes, 42 short passes, uh, eight duels won, four duels lost. Really great day in, in a way that doesn't really show up on the in the highlight reel necessarily, but mm-hmm. he looked dynamic, and I'm really excited to see what he can do uh, you know, in the next couple of weeks. My first shout-out is to the flock. Uh, we talk about them every week. We love them. Uh, they were in full voice. Uh, even after we give up, you know, 81st minute goal in the stoppage time, they're singing and singing. And after the game, after the final whistle, they keep singing until the players come over and, um, you know, greet them, give them the high fives and stuff. So mm-hmm. um, these are not Fairweather fans to be uh, in, no. in any way. So love them. Big shout out to the flock. Yes. Um, and you can just tell that they love having this team back at Bree Stevens back in Madison um, after just the, obviously the, the weirdness and the craziness that was 2020 having to play in Wauwatosa. Um, so right. awesome. Awesome uh, to see the support. And obviously no matter, no matter what happens from here on out, obviously we expect Fort Madison to do well. This team is really good, but no matter what happens the rest of the way, you expect that support to be there and really not let up at all. Unquestionable. Yep. All right, my second shout-out has to do with the flock, a section of the flock, the Featherstone Flamingos. We talked about this a lot, but just really, really spearheading that effort and kind of kind of really taking the reins on this and sort of making that uh, – setting that uh, that precedent, that expectation, that, that sort of uh, – just that this Juneteenth, we're going to make a big part of not only this match, but we're going to do our part to educate and make, and make this, you know, the, the, the commemoration – that it really should be and sort of be what other supporters groups, teams, organizations look at as kind of the standard for this is how you commemorate Juneteenth. And they did that in such a great, such a great way. 
Yep. And and hats off also to the club for letting them lead it. Yes. It's very tempting for white folks, corporate white folks to like say, we here's how we're gonna do Juneteenth. Instead of doing that, Ford Madison's front office, you know, without you know, tur- just turned to Featherstone Flamingos and said, You guys, what should we do? What what's the best way yeah. to recognize this? You lead it, you tell us what we need to do. And that that you know, really good for them. Uh my second shout out is to Major League Soccer. I don't shout out Major League Soccer very often, but for getting their reserve sides out of our league, shout out. <laughs> uh, uh, the so League One will lose after next year. This is 2023. We'll lose oh, Toronto FC two, North Texas, Fort Lauderdale, and New England Revolution two. Nothing against those players. They're all great but, professional. Football. Goodbye. Fun teams. Go play against other MLS teams. And I, I'm not even sure how many reserve teams are in USL Championship. A lot. Like maybe. They're a handful. Philadelphia, Atlanta United, uh, Portland, Portland, uh, Kansas City, Real Madrid, City B. Yeah, a lot of them. Yeah, uh, yeah, just, yeah. which is it, it, the the one thing that occurs to me that is that that move not only not only solves the like MLS versus independent matches problem, which is not mm-hmm. a huge problem, but whatever. But also, it just makes it it lays the groundwork and makes it easier for USL to take that step toward promotion and relegation. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you don't have to deal with MLS, like, you know, if you're going to do pro- promotion and relegation within USL one and championship now, uh, where, what do you do with an MLS reserve side? Because that, are they mm-hmm. even involved in that conversation with that, with them out of the way, it's all independent clubs that are members of the USL. It's just much easier to envision a system where you can start to promote and relegate teams from those two divisions. I'm sure USL SVP, uh, Stephen Short would like us to, you know, call back on some other portions of the interview that we had with them, except promotion and relegation. That seems to be the one talking point that we always revert back to, but yeah, he seemed, uh, I don't know if I would say in favor, but definitely said that those are conversations that are being had and did not seem yep. against the idea. Um, and yep. so obviously this kind of continues to kind of lay the groundwork, as you said, kind of put that path forward to, potential promotion and relegation even if it's just usl championship and league one those two those mm-hmm. two tiers that's still a positive step forward for american soccer I would think I believe so, yeah. well. yep yep uh my, my third shout out would be it, this is not for madison related at all uh but uh shout outs to our neighbors aaron and brad for letting us borrow their huge inflatable pool and water slide for our daughter's birthday party on saturday uh that thing is awesome i almost got up and went down the slide but I'm six foot four and 205 pounds, so I should probably not do that. Uh, so I opted not to, but it was a huge hit at uh, at Jenny's birthday party. She turned five on Friday, had her party on Saturday. It was a lot of fun uh, and uh, a lot of that to do with the uh, pool water slide that we were able to borrow. Uh, fun fact about that, though, Rob. So I actually had to, you know, it was my job to, to dry it out before we gave it back, right? And so after the party on Saturday, I, I kept it going so the sun could come down on it, dry it out. And so Saturday, after the uh, Ford Madison and Minnesota United matches, I, I went out to check on it. And I was like, okay, it's almost fully dry. In the morning, I'll you know roll it up and send it back. Um, and then Saturday morning, I wake up, step outside to go roll it up and send it back. I get like five feet from the thing. And all of a sudden, the heavens open up and ah. just torrential downpour happens so today as we record that thing is still in my yard trying to dry out luckily it's a nice sunny day so by tonight we should be good to go but yeah it's the the life of a homeowner i tell you that is fantastic all right (laughs) final my final final shout out out to to the best goalkeeper of the night on saturday night the goalposts in the crossbar yes i think i'm pretty sure they had more saves than filbrino did and and possibly more saves than the new England goalkeeper, even Uh, just incredible. The number of times uh, shots clanged off those goalposts in the crossbar, but you know, you struggle and you move on and what do you do? And you, you just try to get ready for Wednesday. Yeah. And we were talking about the mentality piece. And I think that we were talking about forward Madison, really aside from the finishing being the best team in the league at this point, kind of proving themselves to be among that top tier. And I think that's the mentality you have to take is like these, they're going to go in at some point and we have proven ourselves up until that finishing touch to be the best team in the league. We are the best team in the league, box to box, back line to box, however you want to say it. Um, And I think, 
if you continue to have that mentality, that should continue to instill confidence that you can turn this around, put some goals on the board, and get on a winning streak like we yep. saw, or get at least on one beaten streak like we saw at the beginning course yep. of the season. And, and I think it's, it's on Carl Craig and it's on the captains. It's on Jay Keegan and, and Connor Tobin to uh, to instill that confidence and that belief. And I think they can. I think they will. All right. What's our fun fact, Rob? Okay, fun fact. This is not a historical fun fact. This is so far this year, the Flamingos have played 720 minutes of football. Only three players on the current roster have played all 720 minutes. Can you guess who those three are? And I'll give you a hint. Giro is not one of them because he came out with one minute left. <laughs> He's played 719 <laughs> minutes. Wow. There are three guys who have played 720 minutes this season. Do you know who okay. they are? Connor Tobin is one. For, yep. Um, oh, no, Aaron Malloy came off the bench in the first match, so he wouldn't be yep. one of them. Um, That's right. Christian Diaz is the first match. Nope. Keeping in mind, Josiah Trimingham is not yet here. Yeah. Oh, man. Uh, this is tough. Uh, Should I tell you? Uh, yeah, we got all I got is Connor Tobin. I can't think of anybody else. Is Jay, is Jay, Keegan, hold on. Jake Keegan. Is Jake Keegan, Jake Keegan is, is one? Okay. Yes. One. Give me, is give me like one minute to figure out the third one. Oh, well, actually, I don't know. This is this third one's just a guess. Derek Gebhardt? No, actually. Okay. No, he came off. He came off Saturday. Uh, without Josiah Trimingham oh, yeah, at center back, Gustavo Fernandez. So the two oh, center backs have played all seven twenty minutes. So the two guys in the back and the one guy in the way top, Jake Keegan, has played all 720 minutes. And Jero is right behind the 719 minutes, which I find kind of hilarious. Wow. One minute. <laughs> all <laughs> yeah. right. Well, that'll do it for another edition of Talking Flock. Thank you so much, Rob. Rob Chapel from Madison365. Follow him on Twitter, at Rob Chapel 365 um, for everything going on in, uh, in, in Madison and specifically in those communities of color that they cover so extremely well. Uh, so go follow him and follow Madison365 for that. My name is Jeremy Rushing. You can follow me on Twitter at Jeremy G. Rushing. Uh, Talking Flock, part of the 10,000 Pitches Podcast Network. So go follow us there at 10K Pitch. A lot of other great stuff going on. Uh, Rob, thank you so much for coming on, man, again, for being with me. Uh, you know, eight episodes or seven episodes in. Hopefully yep. a lot more than that to come. Uh, very much appreciate it, man. Thank you. My pleasure. Thank you. All right. Thank you all for listening. This has been Talking Flock, a full Mingo podcast. We will catch you next Monday.